Let's open up our Bibles today to Ephesians chapter 3. And I kind of have to warn you guys, this is a tough chapter, man. I uh, was studying it and reading it and trying to figure out, you know, how to organize it. And I was not having a, a, an easy time of it, so much so that I went to bed last night and I couldn't sleep. Now, that says a lot because I am a person who uh, I sleep very easily. I sleep during Bible studies. I sleep um, while, I'm, uh, <laughs> while I'm driving. I mean, I could fall asleep and I could stay asleep, but last night I couldn't sleep. And then next thing you know, I had a dream. So I had a dream that I'm going to share with you guys today, but I'm not going to do that until the end of the study because it is pretty cool. The Lord connected the dream uh, with the study. I think in my life, probably I've had maybe five, six dreams that I know for sure were from God. Uh, this is one that I'm, I'm pretty sure it was the Lord, you know. But again, just to let you know, it's kind of a tough section of Scripture. And so if you're uh, one of those, that you know, you wander off and things like that, you're really going to kind of lock in and you have to try to concentrate. And if you do, I think you're going to be blessed. Three things that kind of stood out to me. Number one is the minister. And so we're going to learn about Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle that was in prison, man. And so we're going to learn about him and just a little bit about the ministry. And my prayer is that that would encourage you, uh, whatever ministry you have, that you would just learn from this guy who was so faithful. And secondly, we're going to learn about the mystery. So first the minister and then the mystery. And the mystery is basically a, not a Scooby-Doo thing, okay? It's like a sacred secret from the past in the Old Testament. It's kind of tucked away there. And so it's, uh, it's, impl it's implied in the Old Testament, and implicit, but it's explicit in the New Testament that it's, it's unveiled, so to speak. And so number one, my, my prayer, we're, we're going to learn just basically from this, you know, what it meant to them then. But I will say this, does God ever tell you secrets? Do you ever like hear the voice of God? My prayer is that you would listen as you pray, as you're a Christian, as you're in the word, because God, uh, he kind of tells us uh, secrets. He gives us insight. So number one, the ministry. Number two, the mystery. And then number three is the mission. And that is, you know, why are we here as a church? What's our agenda? Why do you live? You're, you know, it's nice to have fun in life, but remember, that's not what it's all about. It's nice to make money. That's fine. You got to support, you know, yourself and your family, but that is not what it's all about. There is a mission we have. My prayer is that we would embrace the mission of the Great Commission, and that is to share the gospel with others. And so as we go through this thing, it's kind of cool the way that it divides up. But again, like I said, it's not an easy text. And so let's give it a shot. Here, verse 1. It says, Paul says, for, for this reason, and real quick, he's writing just after he's told them, hey, Jew and Gentile, no wall between us anymore, man. We're, we're joint heirs uh, with Christ. And so he wants to build on that. And he's going to pray in verse 14. But right here he starts, for, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, 
how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. And so here Paul the minister, he he begins in in verse 1, basically he says, for this reason, and then when you get later on in verse 14 and say, I'm going to pray for you. You guys are now united now. You know, the Jew and the Gentile, they were divided. They wouldn't eat with each other. You know, the Jew and the Gentile, they were so divided that we talked about this, that some of the Jews believed that if you were a non-Jew, which is a Gentile, you were only created to fuel the fires of hell. That's how much they hated each other. It was extreme racism. I told you guys before that if you were a Jew and you saw a woman who was a Gentile giving birth and she needed help, you were not obligated to help her because if you did, you'd be helping a Gentile come into the world. And so this is a crazy racism. This is a crazy thing in which they ostracize each other. And it wasn't just the Jews. It was also the Egyptians. It was also the different cultures. They had this extreme division here. And so Paul's writing about, hey, that middle wall of separation has been broken down. Now we're united as a people. We're one as a body of Christ. And so he says, for this reason, and then he's going to pray for them, that I pray that God will bless you. I pray that God will do this amazing work and you'll know Christ's love and this is all the great prayer. But what happens before we get there is this parenthetical statement. And what we see is that Paul here, in looking at this, he actually spends these next uh, verses 2 through 12, it's all a parenthesis, in which he pauses for a moment and he shares some things that are going on. He begins, first of all, uh, with the fact that, that he's a minister who is incarcerated. Notice again in verse 1, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. Some of you guys here, you've been in prison before, huh? You, I, don't, I won't make you raise your hand or anything, but, you know, um, I did some time in jail uh, just as a kid, and, and it probably would have ended up there if I hadn't got saved. I have some really good friends that have a, 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 you know, a rap sheet. I mean, you name it. They spent some time in some pretty intense prisons, right? And so imagine if you guys came into the church today and there was an elephant in the room. Now, if there's an elephant in the room, right, you come into church and, you know, we do our worship and we do our announcements and we do our Bible study and then, you know, we dismissed you. And let's just say we never spoke about the elephant in the room. That would be weird, huh? You'd be like, hey, how did the elephant get in there? And why is that elephant in, in there? And why didn't he ever talk about it, you know? And I think what Paul does at this point is he talks about the elephant in the room. And that is, as he's writing this letter to them, he's in prison. He's in prison. You know, and it's like, wait a minute, Paul, I mean, how are you doing? I mean, you wrote the letter, and he starts off the letter. It's so cool because he says, you guys are, you know, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You're Christians, and you're chosen by God. You're adopted by God. You're accepted by God. You have been redeemed by Christ. You have the inheritance of Christ. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You're saved by grace. You're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that, you know, you should walk in them, just nothing but good, 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 good. And so wait a minute, time out, Paul. What, what's, what about you in prison? What about the elephant in the room? And that's, I think, now where Paul, he, he addresses it. 
And the thing about it here in verse 1 is he's writing from prison. He's been in there for five years. He didn't just get there. He's been in prison for five years. He got arrested in Acts chapter 22. They kept him locked up in Caesarea. It's a place we're going to visit in Israel in just a couple of weeks. And then they go and they take him to Rome and he's there under house arrest for two years. I mean, basically five years in prison and he's, now he's writing to the Ephesians. And the thing about it is so beautiful, this minister, notice he says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of who? Christ Jesus. Wait a minute, the Jews were the ones that threw the book at you. The Jews were the ones that were against you. The Romans were the ones that got you locked up. But Paul didn't see it that way. As a minister who needs to suffer for the saints, he didn't see it that way. He saw himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. And I tell you what, that is a great picture of the ministry We will, as ministers, suffer. We will, as ministers, sacrifice. We will, as ministers, sometimes be sentenced to certain things that are not comfortable. But the reason we do it is because we are bond slaves and servants and prisoners of Christ. And the reason we're servants of Christ is because of the people that God loves. And Paul, in writing here, it's just so cool to read about the incarceration. He wasn't there because of something he did wrong. He was there because of something he did right. And that is that Paul preached the gospel of freedom to the Gentiles. And the Jews didn't like him for that. As a matter of fact, if you read the story there in the book of Acts chapter 22, Paul the apostle had come back from his third missionary journey and he was, uh, you know, he was this guy that was so passionate. He would go to all the different cities and he would preach Christ. And he was teaching to the Gentiles, you don't need to be circumcised in order to be saved. In other words, you don't need to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. Now, the Jews didn't like that. And so they were against him. So when Paul comes back to Jerusalem, there's already some tension going on. But he tries to appease them. He tries to do the right thing. Next thing you know, what ends up happening is Paul gets arrested. And as he's being taken away, because they're just tearing at him, man, it's a crazy story. As he's being taken away, he says, wait, stop. Let me preach to them. Let me talk to them. And as Paul begins to tell them his testimony, Paul begins to tell them his story. uh, He tells them that the Lord Christ had appeared to him and sent him to the Gentiles. And the moment they heard the word Gentiles, oh man, it was crazy. They, they threw their arms in the air and they started shouting, away with the man, away with this man. He's not fit to live. That's how much they hated the Gentiles and what Paul was doing in preaching that, hey, God loves you, Jew. God loves you, Mexican. God loves you who are from Japan. God loves you who are from Iran. God loves all the people of the world. You don't need to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. That's the gospel that Paul was sharing. And it was for that reason he said, I'm a prisoner of Christ for you because of the fact that his ministry had been specifically towards the Gentiles. God used Peter to open the door And then, you know, Paul, he just ran with it, man. And so number one, I think it's important to understand this concept of incarceration. Number two is the dispensation. Because look at verse two. 
He says, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. Now, dispensation, it speaks of stewardship. It's uh, another translation says it's my, my special responsibility. It was his job, so to speak, for Jesus. It was the reason he remained on planet Earth. It was his role. It was his responsibility. And you guys, I hope and pray that you're excited about that. Do you guys know that you all have a, a certain stewardship, that you all have a certain dispensation, that you all have a certain responsibility? How many of you here, are, if I could ask again, Randy asked earlier, how many of you are married? If you can raise your hand. Okay, so that's uh, your dispensation. You be a good husband. You guys going to do that? Yes or no? Okay, how about gals? Uh, you going to be a good wife? Yes or no? You're going to be submissive? Guys, you're going to love her? As Christ loved the church, you guys know your role and responsibility. So the dispensation, the stewardship, the titles with a task. And so for him, this is what God had called him specifically to. Some of you guys are called to the youth. Some of you guys are called to the more the men, the women, different things. Some with the children. These are, this is, was his stewardship. This was his responsibility. This was his dispensation. And for us, we have to understand that's the way it works. The different responsibility given to you from who? God. Never forget that. It's given to you from God. Paul was a minister who was willing to be there in incarceration. He understood his dispensation. We we read a a lot. Look at verse 4, if you would. But by which, when you read, I'm starting in verse 3, how that by revelation he made known to me the mysteries I've briefly written, by which when you read, here it is, you may understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ. And so you guys know Paul wrote, right? Paul wrote 13 letters. And so I hear he's saying, when you read it, you'll understand it. That's one of the things that we want for you as a church and for him, especially as an apostle, as a pastor. We want you to understand what was written. So we're looking at his dispensation. He says, okay, I I want you to understand what is written. These are things about a a minister that he wants you to understand. He doesn't just present the material. God, open their hearts, open their ears, open their eyes, that they'd understand. And and then if you jump down to to verse 7, looking at the ministry, he says, of which I became a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. He became a minister, and in the Greek language, it's diakonos, it means deacon. It means that this is an individual willing to run errands for God. Hey, I need you to go to Sam's Club. Oh, okay, Lord, I'll go. <laughs> you know, hey, I need you to make that phone call. Hey, can you, uh, you know, clean that toilet? Whatever it is, you're willing to do little tasks for God. They're not little because they're given to you from the God of the universe, and Paul says, that, that's me. I'm a, I'm a diakonos. I'm a minister, small m, not capital M. This is the ministry, suffering, sacrifice for the saints, you know, hoping that they'll understand what I'm sharing, hoping that they'll catch the vision that it's about being a servant, the diakonos. And, and then look at, at verse 8 as he continues here, to me who am less than the least of all the saints. This grace was given. You know, and when you look at this right here, he says, this grace was given uh, that I might 
uh, preach, should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so, you know, as you're going through life, I mean, Paul here is ministering and he's telling, well, this is what it is that you want them to understand. You want to make sure you maintain a servant's heart. Never get too big for some job that you seem is insignificant because there's no such thing in the kingdom of God. And he knew that his task was to preach the gospel. You know, and that's what we have to do. We have to share the word of the Lord. And for me, it's been a blessing. I know for you guys as well, as you go out there in the highways, the byways, the valleys, the alleys, where you work, where you go to school, when you go to Sprouts, wherever it might be that you're going to the market, you know, jack in the box, in and out. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many. I remember when I first started off, I started teaching a Bible college class, going over Moreno Valley, two people for 16 weeks. And so he would say, well, why did you drive so far for two people? Because the numbers, it's not about the numbers. When we get to heaven, God's not going to say, well, how many were there? It doesn't work that way. God doesn't base us on numbers. It's faithfulness. And the main thing, he wants us to preach the gospel. And that's what Paul is doing right here. He's writing so they'll understand. He's being a deacon, willing to run errands and minister. He's preaching the gospel. And then in verse 9, it says, and to make all see, I like that, to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus. For those of you who are teachers, a lot of times the teachers, any of you guys ever have a good teacher in high school, one that you can look back and you're like, ah, I remember that teacher. They were really good. So some of you here, you never had a good teacher in high school, but some of you here have. You know what I'm talking about? And so every once in a while, you get that teacher and they're really excited about the topic and they're creative in the way they present it. And they're just like, they just care. And sometimes they'll even say, hey, if you want to, you can stay afterwards and you can ask questions. Because in the Hebrew, uh, to teach, it's not just present the material. That's not what it is in Hebrew. In Hebrew, when you, when you teach, it means to cause them to learn. Now, we can't force everybody because not everybody has an open heart. Not everybody has a hunger for God's word. But we can do everything we can. We pray, we try, we you know, work so hard in, in studying and then just asking God, Lord, please use my life so that I, it says right here, make them see the blessing of being a Christian. And this is what the, the minister is. Paul says, of which I became a minister, in verse 7, according to the gift of the grace. And you see that word over and over again, grace of God given to me by this effective working of his power to me who am less than the least of all the saints. Now, I love this because Paul, even after 30 years of being this amazing missionary pastor, Christian man that he was, he never got proud or puffed up. He didn't have a sense of entitlement. You know, he had a heart of humility. And I want to share with you guys, and I know that you guys know this, man, but man, let's maintain that. Let's cultivate that. Humility is powerful. Nothing sets you out of the devil's reach as much as humility. But if we're proud, we're setting ourselves up for a fall. You know, Paul, the apostle, as he did what he did, man, he grew in humility over the years. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, 
who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. One thing about Paul is he never forgot where he came from. He never forgot. I remember who I was before I was a Christian. I remember I was dead in my sins. I couldn't understand the Bible. I couldn't understand spiritual things. Or maybe I was religious, but I didn't really know God. As a matter of fact, I persecuted the church of God. I would break into houses. I would take out women and children and men. I'd take them to the authorities, and I would vote for them to be put to death. I mean, in one sense, he was like a modern-day terrorist. But what God did is God saved him, and he never forgot that. And even as God began to use his life, that just anchored him to that place that we all need to stay. And that is understanding who we are apart from Christ. If it weren't for Jesus, if it were not for Jesus arresting me that day when I got saved, I know where I would be right now. I'd be dead. I'd be in prison. I'd be in hell. He never forgot that. But he grew in humility, not just the least of the apostles, but in 1 Timothy 1.15, it says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And so I pray, you know, that as we're growing in the Lord, that we would grow in humility like Paul did. You know, first he's the, you know, not worthy to be called an apostle. And then later on he writes, well, I'm less than the least of all the saints. And then he ends up at the end, he basically says, I'm the worst, I am the chief of all sinners. And so that's a beautiful thing to see. And unfortunately, we don't see a lot in the church today. Chuck Smith said, I have to confess that when I see some of these fellows on Christian television strutting across the stage and acting like professional wrestlers, I wonder... <laughs> Where is the humility that Paul had? I've always loved this quote by F.B. Meyer, who said, I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves one above the other, and that the taller we grew in Christian character, the more easily we could reach them. I now find that God's gifts are on shelves one beneath the other, and that it is not a question of growing taller, but of stooping lower. Paul here said, this grace was given to me to preach, notice what he says, the unsearchable riches of Christ, the boundless riches, the endless treasures of who Jesus is. And, you know, I don't know where you guys are in your life. Some of you guys here, you know, maybe you're plugged in, you're rooted, you're grounded, you're strong. Um, but that's probably not a lot of us. Uh, for most of us here, it's a battle, it's a struggle. Um, some of you here might even find yourself uh, at the end of the day describing your life as, as a life of defeat. And, the, you know, the drinking's got you, the drugs got you, the pornography got you, the sexual sin has you, the anxiety, the depression, you know, you name it. I mean, the pride, the confusion. And, you know, there's no hunger for God and you're struggling and you just, all you know is, is that. And one of the things that, that hopefully you can feel, that you can sense when you come to church is we're telling you about Jesus because in Christ, man, there's power. In Christ, there's these unsearchable, unsearchable, unfathomable treasures of power so that we can put into practice in life. And that's what we're trying to share with you. And if you don't understand anything, because I said this is kind of a complex study, maybe that's one thing that you can understand today is that you need Jesus. 
You know, we got all these football teams. They're getting ready, you know, and they're playing. And some of you guys came and you're excited about the games later, maybe yesterday, maybe on Monday. I'm not sure what it is, but you guys know how it is. Either you win or you lose. You win or you lose. The same thing in life. You win or you lose. The only way you're going to win and make it all the way and say, yes, we won the Super Bowl, whatever it might be in life, is if you've got the power of Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is sharing right here. Do you have that power? Is that why you're here today? Are you here to seek Christ? Are you here to discover this love that he has for you? I pray you are. Because it is an awesome life, not perfect, but proper. And you will find your mission, and you will fulfill that mission. You know, it breaks my heart when you see in Hollywood and all these people that people put up on a pedestal, and they're getting divorced. What's going to happen to their kids? Well, they fell out of love, and now this, that, and the other, and they're moving on, and come on, don't judge them. Well, you know, there's a a few things we read in the Bible. Sometimes there's a biblical divorce when someone has had an affair, and they're unrepentant, things like that. But man, that's that's what's messed up our society, is there are kids that are being raised without their father in their life. Mom and dad are supposed to be there every day. Now, sometimes things happen and God will cover you with grace. And some of you single moms, you know, you know, you're my heroes. But man, if you're married here today, if you're married, this is the only way that we're going to be able to win this. We need these unsearchable riches of Christ. As a minister, you know, Paul had this amazing ministry. This is what he got to share. And so you've got the, you know, this mission of Paul that goes on to talk in verse 3 about the revelation. Look again, if you would, at verse 3, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already. And so incarceration, uh, Paul Apostle unfortunately was there, you know, bound in prison. The dispensation, which is the responsibility or stewardship he had in life, And then this word right here, I think, helps us understand this section, and that is revelation. How Paul was unique in that he received the gospel through personal revelation. And that means that he didn't receive his gospel through man or through a ministry, but it came directly from the lips of the Lord himself. You know, and we don't see that nowadays. You know, nowadays you got guys, you know, they get saved, like I said earlier, going to Bible college, they learn from someone else, or they learn from that pastor, and they pour into them that way. But that's not the way it happened with Paul. As a matter of fact, when he wrote to the Galatians in chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You know, Paul, in writing to the Galatians, he was worried about them because they had started off so well and they were drifting away because the enemy was coming in. And so he wrote to them and he says, hey, listen to what I'm trying to tell you because what I heard, I heard straight from the lips of Jesus Christ. That's what he says. Not from man nor through man. This revelation that we're talking about, that's exactly what he says. As a matter of fact, later on, if you read the book of Galatians chapter 1, 15 through 24, he talks about how when he got saved in Damascus, 
what he did was he, first of all, he right away, he didn't confer with flesh and blood. He didn't talk to a human being. He just went straight to the mountains of Arabia, and it was just him and God and his Bible. And God gave him the doctrine with which he shares with people. And so, you know, looking at him, the emphasis here is that it was given to him by Christ, and he had the authority of this apostle. You know, the, the reason why Paul got in trouble is because he was preaching salvation by grace through faith, not law, not legalism, not rules, not regulations. Listen, we're all sinners. It's very simple. Have you guys all sinned? Just curious. Any of you guys sinned today? Any of you guys sinning right now? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> We've all sinned. And guess what? I'm a prophet. If I'm going to tell you, you're going to sin tomorrow. And you're going to sin the next day, even though you don't want to. We sin because we're sinners, right? We sin and we separate ourselves from God. But Jesus Christ died on the cross for all our sins, past, present, future. He paid the punishment that we deserve. He paid the price. He suffered for us. His blood washes us, though, free, clean, saved. When you put your faith in Christ, the Jews were upset with that because now Paul wasn't taking them to the law and legalists and, you know, the, the kosher diet and the ceremonies and the sacrifices. Paul was preaching freedom. And I pray that if you're here today and you have not yet received Christ, that you would know that's the simplicity of it. God loves you. He died for you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today and you will be saved. Accept him as your Lord and Savior. Follow Jesus. Who are you following on Instagram? Who are you following in life? Follow Christ. That's all Paul was sharing. So we see, first of all, in looking at this, you know, as Paul is setting things up, you know, the, the minister, but then the mystery. Let's look at verse 4. It says, By which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy prophets, apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Verse 9, and if you look at the same thing, and to make all see what is the fellowship of this mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ, through Jesus Christ. And so first, the, the ministry, we learn a lot about Paul there, and then the mystery. And you're like, what is a mystery? Like I said, it's a sacred secret in the Old Testament, which is revealed uh, clearly in the New Testament. Implicit then, explicit now. What Paul is talking about is something he's already mentioned, and that is that the Jews and the Gentiles are, are now one. It's God's saving love for all people. Are there any Jews here? I'm just curious. Are, are there any of you guys that are Jewish? Okay, my brother-in-law, I guess he's the only one. I love this guy, man. He takes me, was it corned beef and what? Yeah, that's it, man. <laughs> And he's saved. And so the Jews can be saved. But the rest of you guys, you guys are Gentiles, right? You guys are non-Jews, right? Aren't you glad that the doors have been opened up to us? I mean, it's exciting. And that's all he's saying right here. And that what we find is that we are now fellow heirs with the Jews. We are of the same body with the Jews. We've been united with them, partakers of God's promises to the Jews. 
And so when you read the Old Testament and you think, well, they're all directed toward the Jews, well, now in one sense, they're all directed towards us as well. God is with you. God loves you. God has a plan for your life. Even though in Jeremiah 29, they were there, prison in Babylon, God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. We can now take those promises. Why? Because we understand the mystery that sacred secret and that the Gentiles would be grafted in. Now, we haven't replaced Israel. We don't believe in replacement theology, but there is this grid in which God has brought us together. And that's all he's saying in this mystery. And so as you read through the Bible, you'll see other mysteries, other sacred secrets. The Trinity is, in one sense, is a mystery of the Old Testament. The rapture is a mystery. The, the fact that God would dwell in us, in, in our bodies, that's a mystery in the Old Testament. These are all things that were made clear in, in the New Testament, among other things. And so, number one, as I'm trying to think of application, I mean, it's good just to know this stuff, but then application might also be, Lord, make me a minister, better husband, better dad, you know, better pastor, better son, friend. God, make me that kind of minister. And then when it comes to the mysteries, Lord, tell me secrets. Give me insight. Give me, Lord, speak to me personally. Because I tell you what, God will. God will speak to you. It's like he gave me that dream today. I'm going to tell you guys at the end, but it's pretty cool, man. <laughs> Have you guys ever had God speak to you in a dream? I'm just curious. Yeah. Have you ever been warned in a dream? Yeah, Good. Now, not all dreams are from God. Some are because you ate too many tacos the night before, right? <laughs> but some are. Have you guys ever heard the still, small voice of God? I think when I'm praying, I hear his voice most clearly. The God of the universe who invented personal relationships wants to have one with you. Not a religion, but a relationship. He will tell you secrets that if you'll listen, will change your life. So here's Paul with the minister. Paul the mystery. And then the last thing is, is this mission. Because look at verse 10. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. And so Paul said, I got, I, got, I got put in prison for you. I got put in prison, Paul wrote, wrote to the Philippians, and now there's been this furtherance of the gospel. I went through the, the hard times so that you can be saved and blessed, and so then they get saved, and then they get grafted in, and now they become the church, and now the church is going to get the word out to the rest of the world. You know, you look at our nation today, right? And I know a lot of you guys are probably bummed about what's going on in our nation. You're bummed about what's going on, you know, in our government, in our schools. But, but you know, and I understand they all have their choices to make, but part of the reason the, the world is so messed up is because the church is so messed up. The church is, is divided. The church has one foot in the world and then one foot in the church. 
The church is not sold out and surrendered, completely committed. They're not at church. They're not reading their Bible the way they should be. They're not praying the way, not living and loving the way that we should be. And Paul said, all this has happened so that you can be the church. And you don't have to be bold. You don't have to be um, ashamed. You can be bold when you're out there witnessing now, so much so that so many people will hear the gospel through you, the church, that even the angels and the demons will know what this is all about. Because that's kind of what he says right there in, in verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known, be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now, later on, the principalities and powers are the demons. Did you guys know that demons watch you? Did you guys know that? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says that we have been made a public spectacle to demons, to angels. And so the word spectacle in the Greek is the word theatron, where we get our word theater. And so these guys, they go to the show, they grab their popcorn, and they're just watching you, man. It's kind of what it is. And when you're living for the Lord, and you're manifesting the wisdom of God and the gospel of God, and when you're getting the word out and it's so effective, no doubt people are getting saved. People are hearing that message. Even angels and demons will hear. That's what he's saying, that you will be effective as a church. You know, Paul was in prison, but God would use evil for good. You know, and I've told you guys many times, you know, my, my dad was shot when I was in sixth grade, you know, because my cousins were all involved in, in Flores. Um, that when I was just a little kid, I was probably just one year old, one year old. Was it one year or one year? Anyways, one of those. Um, you know, my mom was in a car accident. And it just devastated her, and it messed up her pituitary gland. And so, you know, she couldn't really do those things. And my, here's my dad. He's on heroin, and then he gets shot. And then so what ends up happening is I go and I live with my aunt, my Aunt Mary, my Thea Mary, and my Uncle Ernie. And uh, they took me in when I was in the sixth grade. And some of them might say, well, why did God allow your dad to get shot? Why did God allow your mom to get in that car accident. You know, and you look at the different things that happen in life and what ended up happening was my Aunt Mary, she opened up her, her heart. She opened up her doors to allow me to live with her. And basically, if it were not for her and for that happening, like I was talking to the Lord about this the other day, I mean, I, I believe that God used her to rescue me, to rescue me. You see, and that's where all those, you know, those things that you look back in your life and you're like, well, why was that catastrophe? Or why was that person, you know, going through that? And why does this happen? And what Paul is trying to say here is that all, the intent is that so eventually you'll get saved and you'll be the church and even the angels and demons. They're going to see it. They're going to hear it. Because they don't know what grace is. The angels don't know what grace is. But they're going to see it because you will be strong. That's what he's saying here. And people are going to get saved. And he says right there in verse 11, according to the eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. (laughs) 
And Paul is saying all this is happening so that one day you can actually be saved and then you're going to send the word out to where we now have this personal relationship uh, with God. I want to show you guys real quick a picture before we close of the temple. Now, this right here is a temple um, that, that, that Herod built. And, you know, you guys notice right here on the outside of the temple, it says Gentiles Courtyard. So watch, if you can go to the next picture, you're going to see that the Gentiles could only go so far. So that small structure right there is what we were just looking at. The Gentiles could only go that far. They couldn't even go in those walls. Now, if you go back to the previous uh, uh, picture, the, you'll see the women can go into the second section. That was the women's courtyard. That's as far as the Jewish women could go. Now, the next place, you have the priest's courtyard, and that's where the Jewish priests could go on the left side, and the Jewish men could go on the right side, the Israelite courtyard. And so that's as far as you could go. But then if you go into that building right there, into that, that actual temple, you have the holy place, and that's where the priests can go in, and they would light the candles, and they would put the, uh, the bread, the show bread, and they would offer incense there on the altar of incense. They could go a certain place. But then there's another room, it's called the most holy place, and that was the place where God dwelt. That was like where the Ark of the Covenant was, the Shekinah glory of God was, the presence of God was, okay? And so before an Old Covenant, that's how far you could go. But when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that when he died, it wasn't cheap. He died for our sins. The Bible says the veil was torn in two from top to bottom so that we can now go into the most holy place. That when you pray, that when you pray, you go into God's throne room, that when we die, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are going to the very presence of God. See, that's what Paul is saying right here. And that, that's exactly how it works. But you have to place your faith in Jesus Christ my prayer is that you wouldn't be a half-hearted Christian. You wouldn't be an undercover saint. But you would be completely committed, sold out, and surrendered. All in. All in. Because you should be. Because he died for you. And when you live for the Lord, you get to touch people's lives. That's what Paul is saying right here. You know, it's pretty cool. Uh, yesterday, no, the day before yesterday, I did a funeral. And there's this guy, Michael. He suffered a lot in life, but he loved the Lord. And uh, we were doing the funeral, and uh, it was just a, a really, really neat uh, time in which people were coming up and sharing stories about how this guy loved the Lord and how this guy really touched their heart. And then so when it was all done, the lady from the funeral place, cemetery, she came and she gave her closing words, and she said, oh, I wish I would have known Michael. He seemed like a nice guy. Hopefully he's in heaven. That's what she said. Hopefully he's in heaven. To which one of the guys, the brothers who was right there, he said, oh no, he's in heaven. He, <laughs> he said it loud and clear so that everyone can hear. Because you want to know something? When you give your life to Christ, there's no doubt. We know, the Bible says, that we are saved. We know we are forgiven because we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And what that does is, man, that sets us free. That sets us free. And so let me close on the dream. I'll share the dream with you guys real quick. Will you still be my friend after I tell you this? We'll see. 
But like I said, I was having a hard time with this text because it was very difficult to, you know, give any structure or organize. And so I had a hard time sleeping last night, which is very rare. It very rarely happens. But anyways, I ended up having this dream. Maybe that's why. And so anyways, I had this dream that my wife and I, we were at a a high school and it was a high school that was a it was a fusion of a royal high school and West Covina High School. So her and I were there at this high school, and there's a lot of people and there's a lot of young people there because you know it's a high school. And so we go up and there's this guy and he's handing out food and he's handing out bacon. And so I get a piece of bacon and she gets a piece of bacon and underneath it there's a napkin. And so we get our bacon, and then we end up going out uh, to the school, and we're giving people bacon. We're giving these youngsters bacon, these students bacon, all right? And so anyways, I woke up this morning, and I said, that was weird. I had that that dream, and I I remembered it. And then um, I didn't even think twice about it. But then as I woke up, and I went to my prayer closet, and I started to pray. And all of a sudden, the Lord brought the dream back to me. And he said, that was not random. I want to share something through that dream. And this is what it is. And the Lord told me this. He said, where did you and Shelly meet? I said, oh, in high school. Oh, yeah, in high school we met. You know, she saw me first, you know, um, (laughs) <laughs> but um anyways that's a different story <laughs> um the lord is saying and and i want you to know that i've always had a mission for you you guys met in high school it wasn't random and together you have this mission and he said the bacon he said when you're giving out the bacon what you're doing to these students, to these people who maybe want to learn, is you're telling them that they are no longer under the law. That Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, where Peter saw that you know, the whole uh, thing, the scene of the food coming down, and you know that was the old law that said you couldn't eat bacon. But now you can. And what God is saying is that the mission for you is to share that message of freedom to the people. Now, whether or not they want to eat that or whether whether they want to take that, that's up to them. But you, in your love, and it was kind of nice because there's a napkin. I said, well, what does a napkin mean? And Laura was just saying, well, so they can wipe their mouths afterwards. That's all, you know. (laughs) No sloppy agape. (laughs) And and it's up to them. You know, do do you want that or not? And that's all we do. And it's not just for the pastor and the pastor's wife. It's not. It's for every single Christian. You can go out and you can share God's love and God's freedom. And I pray that you would. When was the last time you shared with somebody? When was the last time you invited someone to church? I pray you would. And as you do, you watch. God's going to use your life in a tremendous way.